152 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, what up, golf fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Preferred Lines podcast. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're going to talk about the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week. Back, We're back elevated, baby. It didn't take too long off. Uh, so we have another stacked field coming to Bay Hill this week. Um, if you're new to the show, this is a it's a golf podcast. We talk about the gambling odds. We talk about the course preview and I bring in a guest to help me along the way, which I'm excited to bring to you in just a second. Um, if you would take two seconds, like thumbs up, click that little heart button, anything that you can do to support the show. Um, what is most appreciative is if you could jump on over to the preferred lines, YouTube page, subscribe to the channel. You can drop a comment in the chat. I love to bring those up in the show. If you have any questions for my guests, um, drop those in there as well. Maybe we'll get to those also. Um, I'm thrilled to, to welcome back in and mention one of our sponsors, a fantasy golf pod up there in the corner of your screen. Chad, Jish, Eric, those guys stream every Wednesday at 520 Eastern. Um, good friends of mine. They do put out a ton of great content. As always, much appreciated them supporting the show at fantasy golf pod on Twitter. Make sure you give those a follow as well. Okay, here's what we got. I'm going to bring on the guests in just a minute and talk about the ever evolving landscape of professional golf. Uh, we're going to then shift our attention over to the API with a brief course preview. We're going to go through the odds boards, talk about some guys that we like, that we don't like. Uh, like I mentioned, Q&A, if you have any questions, feel free. I will do those at the end, and then we'll get to sort of the final thoughts segment. Okay, it's time. Without further ado, welcome to the T, our guest for tonight's show. Um, qualified for his PGA Tour card in 2009, played professionally for the next 10-plus years, you may well recognize the voice that you are about to hear as an ESPN Plus announcer, part of the broadcast team. He will be on the coverage this week on your PGA Tour live stream from Arnold Palmer. He was just told me he was just at the course earlier today to get a little inside info. And this man, believe it or not, I believe still holds the professional record of nine consecutive birdies in a professional golf tour event. Welcome into Preferred Lines, James Nitties. What's going on, James? What's happening? Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Is that record still intact, my man? Uh, it is. Actually, it's funny you say that. Someone was watching the DP World Tour event last week, and um, apparently someone made six or seven birdies in a row, and then it came up as my name on the bottom, still holding uh, the... You know, I think I'm tied with about three or four guys on the DP World Tour because I did it on in a European Tour event. So, hey, who knows if it's uh, it's it's worthy in America? I know nine's the best here, but if that's the best I can do, I'll take it. <laughs> we love it, man. I appreciate you making some time for me to come on the show. Um, I want to delve right into this chaotic and evolving world that I mentioned of, of pro golf. I was hoping you could have some insight for me because um, last week I thought was phenomenal. As someone in yourself who sort of grinded their way up through the corn ferry at, at that time, like the Hooters tour, right? Um, I want to know if you could touch briefly on this seemingly 
razor thin line between success on the various tours and how deep the pool of players is out there. And it, it notable last week, Eric Cole, right? Um, one back-to-back minor league tour events just in January down here in Florida that paid out like a thousand bucks for winning those. Um, he steps into the Honda Classic win second place last week for $915,000. How deep is professional golf at the moment? And can you sort of speak to um, the overwhelming nature of just um, a player being thrust into that position? It's it's incredibly deep, especially right now with the way that the game is being optimized with track men and technology. You've got 19, 18-year-old, 17-year-old kids qualifying for the U.S. Open and competing um, yeah, it's it's very, very tough and very, very deep. And and the Cole story, I mean, 34-year-old tour rookies won, uh, yeah, you said he won in Florida. He's won 54 mini tour events, yeah. uh, Corn Ferry Tour graduate. And you know what? There, there's, there's a million of Eric Coles out there. The problem is it's very tough to get the opportunity to do something great. And for him, uh, being able to get his PGA Tour card, um, he had a top 15 at Pebble Beach not long ago, so kind of settles settles himself. Um, so obviously you win 54 times on a mini tour. Look, it's not the biggest stage in the world, but you know how to get it done under pressure. Um, I was just impressed with the, his staying power in the last round. Like we covered the event and, you know, you go through the leaderboard and you're like, okay, experience, uh, rookie, uh, happy with a, a, a good check and result. Oh, this, you know, Garad, the Monday qualifier, gets a top 10. He'll play in Puerto Rico this week. So the fact that Cole stayed around till the end and made Chris Kirk have to hit a big-time shot on the last and, you know, ultimately fail because he's battling his own demons to be able to get back in the winner's circle as well. It's, uh, look, to, to put it in a bow, there is a lot of guys that are ready to step up, not only at the mini tour professional level, but the college level. I mean, Ludwig Aberg, a kid that's playing this week in Bay Hill, he's from Texas Tech and he's going to be a superstar. So there's just so many young kids and talented players that are ready to play professional golf like to go straight to the top. Now, consistency might be a little bit different, but it's uh, there's a lot of these kids that are ready to put their hand up just for that one week and possibly uh, steal a PGA Tour event. Yeah, I was I was on grounds uh, for a couple of days this past week. It was exciting and got to follow around Pearson Cootie for a little bit. Followed around Justin Sue, who led the tournament for a long while, who came up in that class of Hovland and Wolf and Morikawa, and and kind of had to work his way back into the fold. But James, I'm I'm one of those sickos who kind of enjoys a week off of Rom and Rory's and Scheffler's all the time because you get these storylines of these players and. Um, it, it's what makes for me the PGA Tour always so special and unique and cool is is you have those sort of up and coming players where you see that process is I want to ask you briefly just about the scheduling and sort of the evolution of the PGA Tour schedule. It seems like we're to me, it kind of seems like we're on the precipice of like two tours almost like I, I said this last week to my guests, there's like a varsity tour and like a JV tour and they're equally compelling in different ways. Where do you see this sort of scheduling unfolding over the next year or so and in, in how we get these PGA Tour events every week? Uh, you said it perfectly. It feels like two tours, maybe even three. We might even see the hmm. Corn Ferry Tour, look, probably not next year, but in the next five years, maybe 
you know, the top two or three players on the Corn Ferry Tour might play PGA, you know, PGA Tour level events for that week if they get in on their number and that ranking system might slide. But um, I think we're in a pretty good place. We've got 17 designated events. You've got the majors. So there's 21 events. And then you've got all these events like the Honda Classic kind of wedged in between. Now, look, they're, they're not going to draw the the top players in the world. But if we get what we got last week, and, and you said you're a sicko, I am too, being on the Corn Free Tour for so long. I knew nearly everyone in that event. So I was like so excited. I'm like, hey, you don't know this guy, but he's going to be good. There's a lot of that going around. And um, I thought it was cool to, just to let those... Uh, you know, the rookies and a, a lot of guys that haven't had as much experience be able to shine um, and create such a story. So as far as scheduling goes, we all know that the designated events are, are fire. They're just so entertaining, you know, especially this year already, you've, they've delivered. Um, they feel like kind of mini majors, if you would say. Um, so having 17 of those, look, next year, I, I don't think we're going to have the 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 Honda Classic isn't going to be the Honda Classic anymore. I think Honda's leaving. Right. But I heard whispers about maybe it being a designated event. So mm-hmm. um, I think the tour might it might kind of juggle around different designated events. WM's not going to be one next year. Um, so it's I think they're going to kind of test the waters on how do different locations look with designated events. What sort of players shine? What sort of players enjoy coming to the towns or playing the courses? And and when do they deliver? And I think it's kind of spread out now. Because look, if if we had a designated event five weeks in a row, I'd I'd just be I'd be mentally just inspired. You know, I just need a week off. I need a week for different stories. The Eric Coles and the Roy Gerards and. So um, I think moving forward, look, this is still a testing phase for the tour this year. They've thrown a lot into the mix really early, but uh, I think golf's in a pretty good spot, especially, you know, all the way down to the Corn Ferry Tour and uh, even college golf and mini tours. Yeah, absolutely. I heard very similar things in regards to the Honda. Um, They are in search for a new sponsor. It does seem like the perfect opportunity if the tour were to elevate it to kind of incentivize a new sponsor to come in. Look, the fan attendance was fantastic. I, I heard on the local news here that Sunday was the most tickets they've ever sold to the Honda Classic in a field like that. So the people are still here supporting it. Um, it's a volatile course. I can understand why some players may it may not be their favorite because there's trouble everywhere. Um, but it, w- it, it would really be a shame to see it go away. And it seems like with the help of Jack on the coverage Sunday um, to have him sort of spearheading this movement and be like an olive branch between the tournament and the tour. I think it's going to work out nicely for them in the future. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about so your transition to the ESPN plus coverage. Um, I found it really compelling and great what you've been doing so far. So. I, I did find it interesting because golf in terms of an announcer or a broadcaster standpoint has always been very buttoned up and traditional. And you were never really that in dealing with the media during your playing days. I remember you used to have fun in some of the some of the media press kits and all that stuff. Um, are you seeing sort of a shift in that in, in bringing on some people with some more personality and insight into the game like yourself? And, and are you continuing to do that for the rest of the season with ESPN Plus? 
One hundred percent. ESPN. This is a great opportunity with PGA Tour Live. They they they're working with ESPN Plus for the next ten years, I think. So it's a it's a big deal and a big partnership. Uh, last year was the first year with kind of this streaming model and subscription model, uh, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And you know what? Everyone's everyone asks me when we, when we go in. Do, you know, did they tell you to say this? Are you allowed to say yeah. that? And they pretty much just like, hey, go for whatever you want. You know, within reason. Sure. Um, and then look, I'm new to this. I'm I, I'm a, I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a mini tour golfer. It's it's not like I'm a professional yeah. broadcaster. So uh, you walk in there, and I and I want to put on kind of a good broadcast where I, I'm not just, you know, acting like a fool and, you know, saying stupid things, but, but then I want to make it kind of fun and edgy and, and try to push my personality across the, you were talking about when I was on tour, because I was always very honest and outspoken and have a bit of fun and, you know, see what kind of a ruckus I could cause. And um, so I, I think, look, when I, the more confident I get in this position, um, I think I'll have a little bit more fun and the talent and a lot of the analysts that they are trying to work through the streams uh, are people kind of like me that um, look we're not the most well-known 10-time tour winners although there's a most of the guys have won on tour i just didn't get it done but um it's uh yeah like there's they're, they're trying to put on that kind of loose casual atmosphere with good being a good analyst still creating a good um, place to come and watch golf where you can learn something, have a bit of fun and, and then see some, some great graphics and, and different kind of content. And every year that like last year, it was a little bit more straightforward this year. We're, we're trying to work in some more fun details and look, I, I think down the pipeline, there'll be some sort of, you know, gambling stream and, and then yeah. it'd be, look, I, I think the Manning pass is, is something that was revolutionary in, NFL and being a little bit more casual and fun. Uh, I'd like to go in that direction and, uh, you know, kind of be a bit of an idiot on TV and, and without being, you know, too slapstick, but having a good time. Um, so it's been a really fun journey. Uh, the, the, to have this opportunity with no experience is, is been a lot of fun. So I'm still kind of learning. But uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 pumped. It's a different side of golf. ESPN said they were pumped with last year, and they uh, they said that they had a lot of new viewers and young viewers. So it's it's good all around. Yeah, and I think um, look, look, probably a good portion of your of the viewers who are sweating out ESPN Plus on a Thursday morning at seven a.m. are 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 guys like me, guys who are gambling on it, right? And I think you're starting to see the coverage sort of gently enter into sort of integrating that into the coverage have you seen like is there any sort of concerted effort to to bring it up more you mentioned maybe a potential um dedicated stream just toward fantasy and gambling like that coming down the line as a possibility i think so um i'm still not in the position to go to the big boss and be like hey g'day mate uh how about we just start you know changing this and doing that because i'm <laughs> yeah. i kind of I kind of still want my job, but you, you notice like in a lot of the production meetings we have and, and in a lot of the, the kind of uh, breakdowns after shows we have that they, they are moving in that direction. And look, it's still, it's still under the umbrella of the PGA tour. Um, but uh, I think you're going to see here soon. It's, it's going to get a little bit more casual and fun and um, without being too, you, you know, look, I, like you said, there's, 
we have with ESPN Plus, we have the best kind of Thursday, Friday coverage. If you yeah. want to get up at 7 a.m. and watch golf and the best in the world, you have us till like midday. And mm-hmm. we, we're covering all the morning groups. And, you know, then Golf Channel obviously comes on. CBS comes on on the weekends and NBC. We have to get out of the fairways when they kind of come on to follow the main groups. So we still follow the featured groups. So we might be following John Rahm, Morikawa, you know, but we can't jump around into the lead groups just like willy nilly. So there's still logistically getting used to that stuff. But as far as Thursday, Friday, if you love following golf, you love gambling on it. Um, yeah, that's a place. Get, get yourself a coffee, sit down on the couch and, uh, and yeah. watch some good golf early. So there's no one else has really done that in the past. And, and that's the, that's the opportunity that we can grow from. And then obviously we've got the, the opportunity to kind of get creative and, and enter some new stuff into the streams. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to, and I hope you're okay with me sort of shifting gears here, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about live, which was last weekend, which was their first event of, of sort of season two. Um, I feel like that it's critical for them in a sense to sort of embrace the gaming and the gambling aspect, which I'm not sure they're totally all in on at this point in terms of some of the content revolving around them. I know they've got the new TGL league that's coming down by me. That's sort of bearing down their neck, which is full steam ahead in terms of gaming and gambling, and they want to fully embrace it. The players are now starting to, I believe, worry about some of the OWGR situation and how long are these guys going to be able to compete in major championships. What in in heading into season two, what's the biggest hurdle right now for Liv and the top priority, you think? Uh, for me, it's just trying to be different, but not looking too kind of tacky or fake. Like mm-hmm. you you want to be taken seriously. Um and so when Liv came out first and, and I'm not near all of there and I like I have friends out on Liv that I still talk to and um, I turned it on this week to watch. I, I kind of want to see what they're doing. I want to see what they're doing yeah. to broadcast. I want to see what the new features they have. It's like Liv had this opportunity to come out and, and break away and really do whatever they wanted. Um, they went, they're, they're kind of just doing it on the run. Like they're trying to do a lot of stuff that the tour hasn't really done. So, and then they're going to throw it out there as kind of a case study and see who likes it and if it works. And um, look, I, I like some of the stuff, like some of the stuff I don't. I thought I thought the leaderboard, the screen's a little clustered a bit. Like there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, for me, early days when they just had like the scores and the noise and it's like pole position and that, I thought that was cool. Now they're like cramming all the teams on there. It's like the leaders. I'm like, who's coming? You know, where, where's this player that... They've got a lot of these scores are kind of blacked out. And so there's a lot going on visually. There's a lot going on. Um, and then, yes, I, I think you're right. I think they should they should embrace the, the gambling portion. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also you want to make it classy enough where it still feels like a top-notch sporting event. You don't want to, you don't want right. to switch over and it's like Billy's fishing tournament and it's like, hey, who's going to catch the biggest one? I don't know. You got whatever. It's like. It's got to still be buttoned up enough where yeah. you got you take it seriously, but then have a lot of cool features where okay, the tour could actually look and and not steal, but as I said, the, the tour could look at live and be like, all right, they're doing this, that's kind of working. How about we do our own kind of you know spin off of that? So really, I think both tours can 
can kind of learn from each other. But Liv's obviously got the opportunity to run with all the gambling stuff and 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 run with the party atmosphere and and run with uh, you know guys wearing shorts. And but on the flip side, you've got to make it serious enough and and more professional to where people take it serious. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I've been critical, but I feel like I've also been fair. I went to a live event at Miami. I actually enjoyed myself at it. Um, I've tried to be pretty neutral on it and stay out of some of the uh, political stuff and just deal with it kind of as a person who covers golf. So the interesting element to me and the difference maker there that I think they are, they're trying to mix into the pot is the team aspect, right? I actually like the idea of putting them in team uniforms it looks weird at first and it's going to take some time to get used to but if you're trying to appeal to young fans if you're trying to appeal to my wife and the other people who have no idea what's going on like having them understand what teams people are playing for by them wearing the same things is helpful you see it in every other sport is there you know the players mentioned it bryson mentioned it after the charles howe win and and i almost feel like they're pushing this too hard but he talked about how he was grinding Sunday like he was in contention because they were up there for the team aspect of it, for the crushers. And even though he was over par and in 35th place, he was still trying really hard for his team. Is there a genuine, you know, coming from a player perspective, has there always or, or do you believe in this genuine aspect of a thirst for, for sort of team golf and that guys are really buying into this concept? Uh do I think they're buying into it on live? Yes. Um, do us golfers as professionals buy into the team aspect? A hundred percent. Okay. You know, because it's such a lonely sport and you grow up, especially right. me in Australia, that some of the biggest events were teams events. It was like every state had a tournament that at the end of the year where, you know, the best of every state would come and all face off in, it was called the interstate series. So, you know, I, you know, it's a little easier to do in Australia than it would be here in America because we only have seven states in Australia. So, um, but, you know, the best of the best would, would play kind of Ryder Cup style and then the best yeah. state would come out every year. Um, and we loved it. And then a lot of representative golf was teams, team stuff. Um, but there's not a lot of it in professional sport, in professional golf. So, you know, you've got President's Cup, Ryder Cup, you've got other little teams event here and there. Um, that's why Zurich of Zurich last year got a lot of the best players in the world because they were yeah. they were dying to play some teams event. So this is where I thought Liv could have done a really good job. And at the moment, I don't know if they know what their identity is. I don't know if they they yeah. know they if they want a, a singles tournament or if they want a teams event. It's like which <laughs> which one is kind of you know taking um, pole position and. I think it'd be a lot cooler if they kind of mixed it in where you had a team's event that had no singles and then you had a single the next week and then keep doing it where, because the team's event at least have two guys playing together. Like it, yeah. it, it, it just feels a little disjointed when, you know, I could be on your team and you're on the other side of the course and right. I don't know what's going on, you know, like I can see leaderboards, but it's like, it'd be a little bit more intense uh, if two guys were playing another two guys from another team and it, it just, you know, they were playing either a foursomes or a four ball, or even if they were playing two singles versus two singles, it, it just, I think um, if there was a way that they could include the singles competition, but then have more teams events instead of just coming to the end of the year where they have this huge kind of Ryder, Ryder Cup style deal, 
Um, I, I think if they could, they found out their identity or even, you know, before all this started, if they just ran with the team's event kind of Formula One style, um, mm-hmm. it just maybe they could have got a lot more runway and a lot more traction. But um, at the moment, like, once again, I'll turn live on. I want to see who wins. I want to see what guys are playing well just because, of, you know, they're going to be playing in the majors. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 hard to know what their identity is, and and it's hard to know which one I'm rooting for. Like, am I going for, you know, Charles Howe to win, or am I watching his teammate like Crushers, on the other yeah. side? It, it's just you know a little, it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so parts of the team part, I think that they've got right, but there's other parts they've got wrong. Like they, ne- we never really got the draft that we thought we were going to get. Players are moving in and out of teams. Like, how is that happening? I would love for them to sort of tell us that story. I did want to ask you because you touched on some of your Australian heritage sort of growing up. So we can't tell the story without Liv, obviously, without talking about Greg Norman. Um, do you think that like what is his influence in the thing? So you have. The two, all right. So the two Australian players, James, that I would have projected would go to live just based on where they were in their career a year ago would have probably been Jason Day and Adam Scott. Like it kind of makes sense. Name brand, recognizable names. Maybe you could argue on the, had seen their best days on tour. They didn't go, they stayed, but he was able to pull. Cam Smith, the best Australian player that we have right now in the world, and Mark Leishman and some other talented guys. Like, what is his influence specifically over some of these Australian players, do you think? Do they really look up to Greg, or how is he viewed within that that golf? Uh, yes and no. I, okay. I, I don't think he's the he's that figure in golf I, I, that, were, that was in a lot of the, the guys' lives leading up hmm. to this point. Um, it's uh, look. I've never met Greg Norman. Um, I, I grew up loving his game and loving. You know, he was he just came. He bounced off the screen whenever you watched him play, especially like the '96 Masters, the Masters against Faldo and the meltdown and everyone. Australia just felt for him, and it was. I heard he's a, he's he's prickly, very very smart businessman. Um, yeah. He's uh, you know he he's got his fingers in a lot of pies in that circle. Um, and I felt, I think he felt like he was hard done by the tour, by the, by the tour with the world golf championships. It was his idea. He, yeah. he came to the tour with it. And, um, as far as I know, and look, I, he's obviously got some sort of, you know, persuade with the Aussie guys. I think, I think Cam and Leash are both really good friends that wanted to, possibly play more in Australia and have a bit more of an off season and spend more time yeah. in Australia yeah. um, because of the, with the PGA tour and the way that the structure of there being no real off season. And especially when it's the season in Australia, you know, that the fall season here, when they play all the events at the end of the year, that's when it's the Australian open and the Australian PGA and all the biggest events that we grew up as mm-hmm. young Australians loving. And that actually drew a lot of PGA Tour players before the fall season came in. I, I mean, I've played in a fair few Australian Opens where Rory won two of them. Jordan Spieth won one. It's Adam Scott would come back all the time. We'd, we'd get at least seven or eight PGA Tour players come back. Tiger won um, Australian Open, and he used to come out nearly every year. Obviously, what happened in 2009, he came and played the, the Australian Masters. 
And um, so we, we had this big US influence where the country of Australia, which has some of the best golf courses in the world, got to see these biggest stars on stage out there. So that kind of all disappeared. And then um, I think Cam and the Aussie boys were kind of sweetened by the fact that, okay, you know, we obviously we're going to get boatloads of money. I, yeah. I do know that those boys struggled with the decision to go. It wasn't just like, hey, how much are you going to give me? It's like it was, you know, it was a big call for them. But I think in the long run, I dare say, and this isn't coming from anyone that I know that told me, but I dare say that there's going to be, if Liv does make it for the next two or three years, there'll be, there's going to be two or three events played in Australia nearly every year. And, um, and I think that also Cam and those guys are going to enjoy going back and playing in Australia for their off season. So um, I, I don't think he, Norman had the, the biggest influence, but definitely obviously the Australian tire helps because uh, he, he knows a lot of people in those circles. So, um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Jason Day and Adam Scott, um, I, I didn't hear that they were close. So, um, but I think they're at that, right at that position where they're set for life. They've made enough money. Maybe it's a little bit more about legacy for them. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and, and it, look, it's not all about the money. It's like Cam's still young. And I know for a fact that he wants to win majors. Like he is really desperate to win majors so he's not just like sitting back with cash and and <laughs> counting the checks but uh it's uh yeah it, it was very it was interesting to see it unfold especially as an australian like you're wondering can you imagine if it was cam smith mark leishman adam scott and jason day on a team like yeah they'd be pretty pretty tough to beat but um yeah. it uh look i'm not sure how close it was but uh, it was definitely interesting to see it all unfold Cool. Thank you for answering that. I want to kind of shift gears now over to Arnold Palmer, which you were at Bay Hill earlier today. I'm going to give James a quick like course preview here, and then I'll kick it to you, see if you have anything sort of to add on it. So we know Bay Hill Club and Lodge, uh, par 72. We're back at a course with four par fives this week, 7,466 yards on the scorecard. Um, annually, one of the toughest stops on the PGA Tour in terms of scoring average. Actually, over the last couple of years with a superintendent change, it's gotten even harder, and they've really sort of kind of ratcheted this thing down in terms of the rough and some of the speed of the fairways. Oil slick Bermuda grass greens always run at like a 12 to 13. They're super fast. The rye overseeded fairways and rough, um, like I mentioned, the last couple of years has been up to a three-inch rough, which is difficult. A lot of the areas in and around the green that used to be sort of shaved down in short grass areas is now really thick rough. Um, the greens are big, though. Second biggest uh, greens on tour in terms of square footage. Pay close attention. As always, these are my notes from, from previous years to Central Florida winds. I know Friday is supposed to afternoon right now. This could obviously change, but it's supposed to get very hectic with the winds. It absolutely wreaked havoc in 2020, the year Terrell Hatton won. Last year was, was very difficult as well, I think, on Sunday. Scoring on the par fives, like the most important thing. Those are your gettable holes out here. The par threes are the longest on the PGA Tour. They are brutes. The par fours are no easy stretch as well. I believe six of them play pretty well over par. Lowest greens in regulation rate on tour last year, which always leads me to increase my importance when trying to handicap a little bit of around the green game. Recent winners, Scotty, uh, Bryson, Hatton, Molinari, Rory, Leishman, Day, 
James, from my notes, I have in here, I could show you on this other screen to play Aussies. You see Day, you see Leishman there. Let's. You mentioned 2009, right, when Tiger won the, the uh, Australian Masters. Tiger won Bay Hill that year, and there was a young PGA Tour rookie made of his debut at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. What did you finish, like 22nd at this event in 2009? Yeah, look at you. You've done some research, eh? Yeah. I come no, prepared, I man. Yeah, I finished uh, – I, I actually, the other night, I, I've never beaten Tiger when I've played against him. I, I think it was <laughs> nine or ten times, and he's always dusted me. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, – yeah, I finished at, like, plus three, five, uh, eight back. So, yeah, 22nd or something I finished. So, uh, I, I walked it today. I don't know how I scored that because this course does not look fun at all. It is just brutal, just like you said. And yeah. uh, to, to touch on some of your notes, the course is looking absolutely perfect. It's lush right now. Hmm. Um, the, the greens, I saw someone hit a shot. It was Peter Malnati hit a shot into the eighth hole. And it's the eighth hole is just brutal. And he bounced 12 feet in the air. And I was like, wow, if that's how it is Monday, yeah. it's going to be fiery on Sunday. And look, they're some of the biggest greens on tour, but the greens never sit at you. They always sit hmm. diagonal across and they are thin and they are tilted. So you, it, the course design kind of makes you hit across the greens all day, every day. So it's like, okay, I'm coming in with a five iron, but I've got a thin gap to land this in, but I've got a long gap from left to right or right to left. So it's it's uh, it's difficult to hit fairways the way that there's every tee seems like it's just about five or six yards above the fairway. So you just feel that elevated kind of look all day. So you're looking down, the rough is still lush, but thin fairways, firm greens that kind of sit just above the surface as well. And around the greens, I could see they've even when there's not a lot of those runoffs, fairway runoffs, but when they have, they've smartly mowed away from the surface. So if you're not, if you're a leading edge chipper, um, like a Morikawa or a Hovland, um, unlike Scotty, Scotty uses the bounce very well, uh, Scheffler. So there's a lot of grain around the greens straight into, and it just seems a little softer around the greens than it does on the fairways. So it's just, look, I, I was I was sweating just walking around without a club <laughs> in my hand, and uh, but having to hit little pitch shots around the greens. So yeah, look for someone that hits it. Oh, I, okay, the <laughs> look for someone that just does everything well, long, yeah. straight, yeah. hits greens. It's this place is brutal. It's almost who's the best at damage control yeah so yeah it's it's a tough one do you have a few minutes to talk some players on the odds boards with me of course all right let's do the betting Okay, board this week at the top. No surprise. John Rahm is seven to one. Rory McElroy, 10 to one. Scotty Scheffler, 10 to one. Then you get this gap, James, which is kind of unusual in, in all my experience betting golf, where you just sort of have three guys who are starting with a head start. Um, you go all the way to Morikawa, Homa, Zalatoris, right at that 22 to one mark. Uh, Xander, 24 to one. Justin Thomas, 25 to one. In that sort of range, right? The favorites in the field um who do you think you mentioned just being an all-around player who in your opinion do you think sets up best for a course like this uh i look i touched on it before and i said uh Morikara around the greens isn't going to be great here but 
yeah. as you said, they've they've covered up a lot of those fairway runoffs with Dick Ruff. So hmm. uh, he hits it accurate. You know, he's ranked third off the tee strokes gain accuracy. Doesn't hit it a long way, but then to counteract that, he's one of the best from 200 yards in on the PGA Tour. Um, and then he hits a lot of greens in regulation. If he hits a fairway, he usually hits a green. I think he's 70% of fairways, 70, 72% of greens. So um, I think if he, it depends, like you said, what side of the draw is he getting? Um, yeah. I would like to see, you know, if I was putting my, if I was was betting, I would put money down on guys possibly teeing off in the afternoon on Thursday. Um, Morning you know, Friday. Yeah, look, it, okay. especially... As I said, if we're not betting favorites, uh, Chris Kirk's another guy, an outside guy that after winning last week, he, look, he might have a little bit of a, a winning hangover. Um, you know, pardon the pun of the Super, you know, win the Super Bowl, you come out a little flat the next day, uh, next mm -hmm. year. He, he played really well this year, I think, uh, last year. I think he might have finished fourth or fifth or at least top yeah. 10 here. Um, he, he does a lot of things well if he putts well. He's usually around the lead, so he he feels good at a place like this for a long shot. Um, another outside, Keegan Bradley, is kind of flying under the radar. He's doing a lot of things, good strokes gain. Sepp Strucker last week, even though he's been pretty average this year for a past champion, he last week he hit so many fairways and so many greens and missed everything until the last round. We kind of made a little bit of a charge, so he could go under the radar. I'm sure he's at you know, 70 to one, maybe 7,000 or something. So um, yeah. they're kind of the guys without, you know, Cantlay, I see him there. It's it's just so tough. If I was personally to lay any shackles on this event, I'd kind of let maybe the first round start and then possibly look at some people based on tee times. And yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah. What, what about you? What's What do you yeah, think? You know, it's a good idea to sort of pay attention to the wind. I don't, you know, we're at Monday. Obviously, things can change very quickly. But if you're going to have to play Bay Hill, as tough as it is in 30 mile an hour Central Florida afternoon winds, and there's like in Florida, you know, there, there's nothing protecting it really. This isn't a Parkland's real golf course where you're getting a whole lot of wind coverage. It comes in and is whipping. There's tons of water out there. For me, though, and, and those who watch the show know I, I typically won't bet the top of the board. I just find it very difficult. But these elevated events, man, it's starting to feel like it's it's catered to some of these top guys in a sense that they're playing great. They're incentivized monetarily more than ever. And you've got three guys at the top who are at the peak of their games. And the one for me is Rory. Um, 10 to 1, I think it's a fair number. Look, you can get Rory at 10 to 1 in basically any event. I'd argue that Bay Hill is maybe the best fit for Rory on the PGA Tour. His, I, I had his profile up here earlier. These are the last five years, first, sixth, fifth, tenth, thirteenth. He's gaining two and a half strokes around at Bay Hill the last five years, and nobody does that or per round. He's gaining over 10 per event there. He's number one in bogey avoidance. We know his strengths off the tee. Um, he's just been not only really, really good, he's been really, really good here. And I think this is a spot for Rory. So what I have to do in sort of building a card out is if I'm going to reach for someone at the top, I basically have to pass over all these guys. The next guy on the board for me doesn't come down until like 39 to one. And I, and I took Sung JM. Um, I do like his short game. I love his hands. 
I, he didn't play great last week, but I love the fact that he played the Honda, right? Florida, when you go from California and L.A. to Florida, it's just different, right? So getting a few of those reps under your belt, not, you know, the majority of these guys live down here. Almost the entire field played over at Seminole today. Uh, so they're, they're all playing in that. But I, I do like that Sung Jay has a familiarity with the events. He's had some good finishes here. He did not putt well last week at the Honda, but before that, a couple of top sixes and his ball striking numbers have been fairly well. What you know, there's guys like Terrell Hatton who've played really well here. Victor Hovland struggles. How about Jason Day? Talk to me a little bit about Jason Day. His 33 to 1 is about the highest price I've seen him in a long time. The comeback, I think, is real. I'm like as someone who doesn't know him and you probably do, I'm actually like proud that he stuck around and didn't take the easy way out and take the cash payday. Like he really earned it back and you can see the struggles that he went through. And it was powerful to me listening to him speak in some of those early press conferences about how times were very tough, um, very dedicated to his family, loved his mother. All these things were happening in his life in the midst of not playing very good golf in the mix of back injuries, all these things sort of compiled, and now it seems like he's really trending in the right direction. Coming back to a course where he's won before, do you fancy his chances this week at all? Oh, for sure. And he just, you, you said it all, there's been so much happening for him over the past five years, especially with back injuries and, and personal problems. And then, obviously, he the last year and a half, he's been trying to remodel his swing a little bit to be a bit more rotational, to be able to hit the cut kind of on command under pressure, um, you know, working to get that that putting back to where it used to be, where he used to be one of the best. And yeah, I think uh, I like it too. He's flashed this year. He's played solid. He's It's almost like his, his swing change is, is coming to fruition a little bit more under pressure and he's starting to believe it. And, if he's a, he's a guy like Jordan Spieth, if he believes it, it's uh, he's really tough to stop. So yeah, uh, I like that pick. It's it's a perfect course for him. Not a low score. He can work his way around. Still hits it long enough off the tee. Um, unbelievable under a hundred. So it's uh, yeah. I I think the they're grainy greens here, but they are beautiful. Like it's it's mm-hmm. more of a a bent style Bermuda, if, if I could say that. It's it, it, last week was brutal. Uh, guys were missing putts left, right, and center. It was very, yeah. even though the surface was really good, no one knew which way a putt was going and if the if the grain was going to affect the line. And out here, it's a little bit more predictable. So you get guys that um, will will trust their their reads on the green a little bit more, and you see guys that can get hot if they hit a lot of greens in regulation. Now that's that's brutal around here. You don't see a lot of guys, here, you know, being able to go on a run because there's so many different holes at this course that kind of disjoints a good, easy yeah. round. And um, a lot of the water out here is on the left side. So typically a guy like Rory, like you said, being able to draw it and comfortably and hit it a long way is, is a, a little bit of an advantage here. Um, there's a lot of trouble just, you know, a lot of fairway bunkers are placed in that 300 to 330 mark. So it's just if you have that little bit extra in the tank, it makes this place a little less stressful. Um, but uh, no, I getting back to Jason. Now, I think all he has to do is get a little bit of a sniff. If he can get off to a good start, um, he's that type of guy that really competes when he's around the lead. He, he's tough to shake. It's not he's never going to fold. He just yes. needs to have an opportunity. Um, so 
Jason Day, I, I the last couple of really good finishes he's had have been kind of Sunday charges where he wasn't necessarily in contention. He kind of moved his way up to like a T5. But I can remember like the focus on prime Jason Day when he would sort of close his eyes and just be locked in. And it was almost like he was playing golf. It was just him and his caddy and everyone else was totally blocked out. Um, would love to see him sort of get back into that environment. It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, Bunker is at like 300 yards out in the fairway. He just take it right over him for guys like Roy. <laughs> they aren't really in yeah, play. Not, not me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the one other guy that just stuck out to me, and, and anyone watching, I'll have the full sort of card out Wednesday, but um, th this number's too high on Hideki. I know the, there's questions about the form. I still think he's probably a top 15 to 16 player in the entire world. He's one of the best ball strikers that you've ever seen consistently iron-wise hit the ball. His course history, and, and Data Golf has this, I believe is either the number third or fourth like course history stop on tour in terms of correlation year after year. It's just a sticky spot where if you kind of figure some things out around here, you see a lot of guys come back and repeatedly play it well. Um, Hideki's got the third best course history in the field. There's question marks, of course, but while you're getting a betting price at like 70 to 1, like I, I – I love Chris Kirk. I love the story last week. Keith Mitchell's playing great. Um, Hideki's a different caliber player to me. So if you can get him at sort of the same betting price, I'm willing to sort of take on some of that risk and some of the recent form and hope that he pops this week. Shane Lowry is another guy that's interesting to me. And just like you mentioned, Kirk last year played the Honda, I believe third at the Honda, went to Bay Hill and finished third. Um, Lowry had a Good, not great finish at the Honda, but he's been playing good golf in spots. Um, but those are two interesting names in Lowry and, and Matsuyama. Major championship pedigree players um, that you can get at a good price. And I struggle to go too much. Like the strength of this field is unbelievable. To go too much further down the board kind of feels like you may be throwing away some money unless you can find a weather advantage, like you said, where you see a guy who's going to have a PM, AM, tea time wave who may, you know, be able to get a couple strokes up on the field starting there. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the, you said it, it's, it, it pretty much is a major this week. The yeah. way the course setup <laughs> is, the way the field is, it's, it's one of those things, if you're going to bet on guys that are outside, you know, 100 to 1, it's it's more like, all right, I'm just going to bet five bucks and have a beer, sit back and see if it shakes out, you know, and then yep. possibly cash out if they're in contention through two Exactly. Rounds. But it's, uh, Matsuyama's good. He's, uh, I think he's finally healthy. He's been yeah. dealing with that neck issue. And uh, let's be honest, his season is kind of just going. Like he, he's, yeah. he hasn't played many events and, He's another guy, I think, that if he has a good first round, then it's a great bet. And once again, I think you, when you get him at those odds, why not? It's the the, the championship pedigree that he has. Um, he could easily get out and win. So it's it's one of those weeks. It's it's You said it, it. There's just so many good players playing, and it's hard to not go for the guys that are in form um especially because it's kind of familiar to them to be on the leaderboard so it's uh, i think course history here is going to be huge um obviously the weather and yeah all i can say is that the, the rough is still pretty thick it's not crazy it was you know at least three inches and um just someone that is really controlling their ball flight off the tee uh, someone that's great from approach to the green. And like you said, Matsuyama, I think he's led strokes gain approach to the green for the last seven seasons. 
Yeah. Um, not this season, but uh, as I said, he's kind of just getting kick-started here. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It's you really put me on the spot, and even even you with all the uh, advanced analytics over there, we still don't know how to shake out a winner out of this one unless it's out of the guys in the top five. Yeah, no, it, it, at the end of the day, it's like trying – I can have all the data in the world. It's still picking golf over 72 holes. It's the hardest sport in the world to sort of handicap, but uh, we we try our best. Scotty's down there at a big number at 131. I mean, there are some guys – I believe I, I heard this week that um, with the addition of, you know, Ryan Fox – to the field who's a top 50 player in the world it was going to now end up being the strongest field ever in a pga tour event because it was waste management um and then i believe it went to um genesis but now i think with the addition of fox into the field just by owgr alone with you know part of that's a, a result of some of the live guys now falling and pushing some of these guys up but one of the strongest fields in the world, it feels kind of silly, I think, in my opinion, to to then go and bet guys like 100 to 1. It's probably coming, especially with as good as like uh, it feels honestly every week, James, right now, like trying to bet anyone except John Rahm is kind of like standing on the train tracks and hoping you just don't get hit. Oh, 100 percent. He's because uh, Rahm's sort of he's figured out how to part consistently. Um, yeah. Not that he was ever a bad putter, but he didn't do anything else bad. So he's figured out how to putt consistency uh, consistently, and then he's figured out how to make putts at big moments. Like it's almost like he's the new Tiger, obviously, because he's just he, he's able to to go through a little bit of adversity and then make that big shot or make that big putt. And um, it's uh, you mentioned Ryan Fox there. Not he's worth a couple shackles, like maybe five bucks, and just. Have a good week. He's he hits at a mile, and he's got a great short game for a big man. And he's from New Zealand, so he he kind of knows how to get it done on tough, tough golf courses. Yeah, but uh, and he's flying under the radar. Like look, one hundred and eighty to one. That's what I mean. We're we're in the weeds when it comes to that. But it's like, well, you know, if I put five bucks, it's a cost of a a coffee. You know, that'd be great. I'll just I'll sit back. I'm a bit of a gambler. I'm a I'm a sicko. So. But yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting bets. It's um, it's fun to look at. It, it's also fun to you know kind of break it down at the end of the week and and then really that's when the best work gets done for next year is if you really pay attention to you know the post Sunday and then see how it shook shook out and how the advanced analytics kind of and your predictions matched up and then you can use that information next year. I'm just I'm not there like you yet. I forget all of this and have to revisit it again. So you're doing well, listen, a good job. I, uh, I generally appreciate you sort of stepping into the ring and probably something that's maybe a little bit less unfamiliar to you. But um, in terms of familiarity, man, you fit right in with the crew over there at ESPN+. Plus. You've been doing a fantastic job. It may not be. Uh, listen, is there any chance you see Eric Cole, like 35 years old, getting to this event? Any chance you're going to uh, try to Monday queue one of these things coming up here? Or is that is that road gone? Oh, you never know. You never know. It's uh, hey, I still love competing. Uh, I just uh, the the back. I'm missing a couple vertebrae of, uh, oh, of no. uh, you know, it's uh, the the back doesn't work like it used to. <laughs> but uh, so my 160 mile an hour ball speed isn't going to cut it. But hey, I can still get out there and shoot a low one here and there. I just I need those fairways to be firm and fast. And um, it's funny. I saw Cole. He's out there 
grinding in the pro-am when I was walking around this afternoon. So uh, yeah. he, you never know. He, he, the big fella could uh, could do something special after last week. Yeah, I think they had, uh, it was Sam Saunders on the coverage. I'm not sure if it was at Bay Hill, but somewhere that Eric Cole had won the club championship a couple of years in a row. Was that Bay Hill? Well, I'm pretty sure Cole caddied for Saunders, maybe yeah. even here last a uh, couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, they're good buddies. Very good to see. Well, James, thank you so much for making some time for me. Um, anyone on Preferred Lines, you have to follow James on Twitter. If you got TikTok, you got some entertaining stuff over there too, my man. You do it all. <laughs> uh, I got pretty bored during COVID, so I had to, I had to put we some uh, content out there. <laughs> Well, thank you again. Um, check James out on Twitter. Thank you for coming on the show and, and best of luck this week with all the stuff with ESPN plus. We'll be anxiously uh following on. We'll be we'll be those eyeballs on the coverage uh on Thursday morning at 7 a.m. So thanks, James. Have a great night. Well, thanks, Mike. Keep up the good work yourself. I appreciate it. All right, gang, what an awesome opportunity uh to speak with a former PGA tour player, obviously on the coverage now. Look, I always relish these type of opportunities to get someone on who's not like it. I don't want it always to be like a, a handicapper or a gambling expert. So it was I appreciate him just being open and willing to do the show. Anyone who does. Thank you all for checking out the show this week. Um, Dan really enjoyed it. It was great to talk to him. He's got some like hilarious stuff online that you should probably check out. Um, a personality in itself. He kind of made some waves early in his career with some of the media stuff, but it's great to see them embracing those type of characters who bring a little bit of color to the broadcast. So um, happy to have him on the show. Make sure that you support him as well. For final thoughts this week, I don't have a whole lot jotted down. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Chris Kirk and sort of the perseverance. I wanted to talk about Eric Cole and the perseverance, Ryan Gerard, the perseverance of Monday qualifying and then coming out and, and being able to top five an event. And now he's in Puerto Rico. Um, what we saw out of Cole, the heart, the guts that it took with his family there to continue to strain on the top of a leaderboard on a Sunday. Kirk, I mean, like he thought he blew it. It, it felt so much like the Kirk tease that we're used to, but he was able to get that done and to hear him talk openly like he the, the announcer didn't even bring it up um he brought it up about the sobriety and what a journey it's been through um and and how important his family is and it comes to the point i think in all of our lives where we are going to have to whether it's alcohol whether it's drugs whether it's some sort of influence a person um someone who's negative to you and and brings that negativity into your world daily um, you're going to have to choose and you're going to have to like you're almost always a best bet if you have a wife and you have a kids on picking them in any circumstance in doing what's best for them and to see him rewarded and to see this sort of pay off through all the struggles like it has to be and I probably should have asked James about this but the loneliness of being a PGA Tour traveling pro and we saw it a little bit with Matthew Wolf but that has to be difficult on your mental health um, to just be in hotel rooms week after week. And I can totally, as someone who has vices themselves, see how you would slip into those very easily being by yourself on the road, traveling, nothing to do after 5.30 p.m. when it gets dark every night. It was important to me to see stories of 
of gratitude and perseverance and of struggle in making it out on the other end. Yes, it was the Honda Classic. It wasn't an elevated event. It wasn't the Genesis. It wasn't a $20 million payday. But rewatch that interview and tell me it didn't mean a whole hell of a lot to Chris Kirk. Um, I hope that this show meant something to you this week. I hope that it's helpful for you. Um, best of luck to each and every one of you. Make sure to give the show a like on the way out. If you are not subscribed to Preferred Lines YouTube page, what are you doing? Um, get on over there. Subscribe to the page. Smash the like button. Do all those things to support the show. Um, I love you guys. Brian, you're the man. I appreciate it. Dan, thank you as well. Um, you guys are the best. Listen, you, next week, I got a big guest for the show. Um, also, I'm leaning back. You see this poster under the on-air? Sawgrass, 1994, Tiger Woods framed poster. I have another one. I'm going to give it away on the show next week. It's actually a tad bit bigger than that one. I don't have a frame for it, but I'm going to give it away. It's like a $100 poster. Um Sawgrass, the Players' Championship, to somebody who comes into the show who always supports it and in the chat. Uh, I hope to see you all there. Best of luck this week at the API. I'll talk to you guys soon. That was Preferred Lines. Peace.